Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Well, apart from a pandemic and uh, protesting, life is normal these days. Well, not so much. Over the past few days, I've had a number of phone calls from pastors and other ministry leaders who've just simply sought my support as they tried to deal with a lot of the interpersonal conflict and also a lot of the just emotional turmoil that surrounds these issues of pandemic and protesting that's going on in our country right now. And judging from the way these pastors have reached out to me and what these leaders have said to me, their ministry right now is proving to be very challenging. One pastor who has a mixed-race extended family, um, who are all members of his church, by the way, was called a racist by another church member because he spoke positively about the police in their community. Another pastor was rebuked by members who felt that his calls for police reform were an attack on governmental authority. Another ministry leader uh, showed me some email in which he was castigated because he failed to use strong enough language to support one side or the other, depending on which side these emails came from uh, about the particular debates we're currently having. These are just examples of the kind of interpersonal conflict and emotional turmoil that's going on around ministry leaders today. Now, many ministry leaders are being criticized because they're attempting to hold what I call a balanced perspective. They are attempting to avoid some of the extremes that are blasted on social media or even in traditional media, and instead find some reasonable ways to talk about the challenges we're facing right now without lapsing into these kinds of attack mode perspectives that people seem to have these days. For example, some ministry leaders agree that unethical police officers should be fired and police who engage in criminal activity should be prosecuted. But at the same time, they also agree that not all police are evil and not all police departments should be abolished. But in that middle ground of saying these two things, which are in some sense held in tension, there's attack toward the middle. Uh, Some ministry leaders have said that protests are legal, valid, and an appropriate way of expressing public opinion. But these same leaders have denounced rioting and looting as criminal activity. So again, trying to find a balance, saying there's some good, there's some bad, and we need to sort out the distinctives, sets you up for being attacked. When you're trying to hold this kind of middle ground, it's easy to become a target uh, for extremists on both sides. It's easy to find yourself... Uh, feeling like you're caught in the crossfire where people are shooting at you from all sides. Now, if that's the way you feel today as a ministry leader, then I want to make some suggestions for you in this podcast of what you can do to stay the course, to hold steady in the storm, to keep giving resolute, determined, purposeful leadership 
uh, without reacting to or being swayed by a lot of the criticism uh, and vitriol and anger that's coming our way. So here are some suggestions for doing our part as ministry leaders to stay the course, to stand strong, to be resolute, to demonstrate determined leadership and not reactionary leadership in this context. First, speak truth as clearly as you can and expect opposition. You should be preaching and teaching God's truth today in every venue and at every opportunity. And when you do this, you should not anticipate widespread affirmation. That is an unrealistic expectation in this culture, no matter what you say or write. Right now, people are angry, confused, frustrated, and they may vent all of that on you, whether you are the true cause or not. Now, I'm actually going to come back and do an entire podcast on this, either next week or the week following. I'm going to do an entire podcast on dealing with angry people as ministry leaders. But for now, just let me say that sometimes the anger that is vented toward us is really not anger toward us at all. But ministry leaders tend to be safe harbors for people to say things or to behave in ways or to communicate things that they might not do in any other context, but they do because they know that it's not likely that a ministry leader is going to lash back at them. I know that over the years, I've endured some angry attacks from people, and when I've stepped back from them, I've wondered, why was that directed toward me? Someone has called this the kick the cat syndrome. You know, your, your boss yells at you at work, and you get in the car and come home and somebody cuts you off in traffic and you pull into the driveway and your kids have left their bikes and toys all over the place and you get out of the car and you stomp into the house and the cat stands up and you kick the cat. What did the poor cat do? Well, the poor cat didn't do anything, but because your boss yelled at you and the traffic was bad and the children were, were irresponsible, all of this anger has built up and it comes out on an object that isn't likely going to attack back. You kick the cat. Unfortunately, sometimes ministry leaders are the cat. People are angry about what's happening in their world. They're frustrated by what they're seeing on their television. They're upset by what's happening in their workplace. They're fearful of saying the wrong thing or of being in the wrong place. And because of all of this fear and turmoil and anger that's seething in folk, it comes out on you. So speak the truth as clearly as you can and expect opposition, frustration, turmoil, and anger to be expressed back to you as a result of that. Now, when I say speak the truth, I mean preach and teach from the Bible Messages that are perfectly appropriate for today about God's care, God's providence, about uh, humans' sin and our need to face up to our sin, and talk openly and honestly about these theological issues and how they impact public life today. Which leads me to my second suggestion, and that is stick to what you know. Preach and apply the Bible to life. Don't be afraid to do what you do. 
Don't try to answer every political question or comment on every tweet or respond to every social media post. Not necessary. It's more important that you keep preaching and teaching and communicating and sticking to what you know than it is that you have an opinion on every issue that comes along. Draw your conclusions about current events from your theological convictions, not the current poll or the latest news story, and state those theological convictions clearly and frequently that people might understand the groundwork from which you're making your decisions. Let me just give you a couple of examples. In our world right now, there's a lot of talk about racism. And there are those who are saying we need to stop racism. Well, while I understand that as an aspirational goal, and I certainly believe that we should limit racism, my theological conviction is that people are basically flawed and sinful and selfish, and therefore racism will never be eradicated. I am not a humanist. I do not believe that the human condition is constantly improving and that people are basically good. I'm a biblical theologian who believes that the Bible teaches that all have sinned, all have fallen short of God's glory, the curse of sin rests on the universe, and because of that, despite our best efforts to limit the impact of sin in our world, we will never eradicate it. So my theological conviction drives my decision-making to try to work hard to limit some behaviors in the culture, but to recognize with sober reality they will never be completely eradicated. My theological conviction about man's sinfulness or humankind's sinfulness also drives my, my perspective, for example, on whether or not we need the police. I believe we do need law and order, expressed appropriately in our culture. Why? Because I believe that people are sinful and that some sinners are going to act out in particularly destructive ways and the only uh, way they can be controlled is by the force or might of the people expressing itself through the government and through the agents of government like the police. And so I don't have all the answers about racism, and I don't have all the answers about uh, police policies, but I do have this theological conviction. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. The universe is cursed by the curse of sin resting upon us and will never be, uh, and will, and, and will never be removed until uh, the Lord returns and a new heaven and new earth are created. And until that happens, we're going to have to keep resisting sin working to limit the impacts of sin and creating structures, including governmental structures, that limit and punish sinful people so that they might not run amok among us. That's what I mean by letting your theological convictions drive some of your perspective and decision-making. Now, when I say stick to what you know, <clears throat> you don't have to have a final conclusion or a final answer about every problem. Sometimes people ask me questions, and I'll honestly say, you know, I I really don't know much about that. For example, in our current situation, people may ask you, well, when is it justified for police to take lethal action towards someone? And my answer to that is, I, I don't know. Now, just like you, I can watch video and I can form opinion, but 
The answer to that question is really a technical legal question that's been worked out over time, tested and tried in the courts, upheld by appeals courts, backed by the Supreme Court, and that's not my area of expertise. And so I'm willing to say on those kinds of issues, I don't know the answer. I'm willing to admit that I don't have the final opinion or answer on every issue that comes along. And that's okay as a ministry leader for you to be able to say that. So speak truth as clearly as you can and expect opposition when it comes. And second, stick to what you know. Keep preaching and teaching truth and let your theological convictions bubble up in what you say about public issues. But be careful that you don't feel obligated to say more than you know, to offer conclusions you're really not equipped to give, uh, to, to go beyond what your expertise really permits you to say in terms of a comment. Stick to what you know. Third, Magnify examples of effective multi-ethnic or multicultural ministry relationships in your church and in your community. For example, for the last 10 years or more, I have been a member of two different churches in which I was a racial minority. As a white male in both churches, I am definitely in the minority. The first church I was part of was where I was a minority, it was a multicultural church. So there were people from all kinds of backgrounds. Now I'm a member of a church that's a predominantly, uh, predominantly one culture. And in being a part of that, I'm still definitely a minority. Now I highlight this because in both of these churches, there has been remarkable and significant ministry accomplished. Both of these churches have remarkable unity. They have significant investment in their communities. They are making a legitimate and real difference in the lives of people. And they are models of what it means to come together in a multicultural or a a diverse cultural experience and see that in Jesus Christ we can come together, have something about us that causes us to rise above our differences and that we are able to make a significant difference. Uh, difference in our churches. Now, since I've moved to Southern California, I have also lived in a community where I am a racial minority. In my neighborhood, uh, there are many African Americans, uh, Latino, Latinas, uh, there are uh, Asians, and there are a few Anglos. My community Uh, For example, it is not a gated community, but I live off campus. Uh, I don't live in a a privately owned seminary residence. I live in a community. It's a typical middle-class neighborhood here in California. Uh, The people who live around us are nurses and managers and delivery drivers, uh, school teachers, people like that. Uh, We have in our little community area a pool, and I went up there one day. It's usually not very crowded, usually just a few people, but one day I went up there, and it was kind of crowded. There were, I think, 37 people there that day, and I, I counted because it was the most people I'd ever seen there at one time, but I also was struck by the fact that there were only six Anglos in the pool, 31 people from other backgrounds, nationalities, different perspectives, different racial groups all living in our community. You couldn't be in the pool unless you came with a key, and you can't have a key unless you live in the community. And so in that context, I realized, again, the wonderful diversity where I live and how our community functions so well. Uh, we have our own community organization, our community website. We, 
We, we work together, we talk together, we share together, we watch out for each other. We're a good example of a multicultural community working together in a very positive way uh, here in the United States. So when I say magnify examples of effective multicultural and multi-ethnic relationships, this is what I mean. Um, I love talking about the two churches where I've been members, uh, been a member for over, these last, over this last decade and talking about the diversity and the unity and the impact that was made. And then stepping out of the church context into my community context, I like telling the story of where I live. I like living in a normal community here in California where there's a lot of diversity and where there's people from all kinds of backgrounds who are making life work together. And so these kind of stories also need to make it into the sermon illustration file. They need to make it into the blogs, into the Facebook, into the uh, 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 public media and social media that we're sharing. Yes, I realize there are some serious problems going on in our country right now, and I realize that there are some very tragic issues or incidents that have brought those issues to the forefront. But while there are thousands protesting, I want to remind you, there's about 330, 335 million people in this country who aren't protesting today. They're going to work. They're going to school. They're living in community. They're finding a way to make it work. And I think those stories need to be told. And as ministry leaders, we have a voice and an opportunity to speak often in front of people. Let's tell those stories. Then fourth, another way we can do our part today is by reaching out to leaders from other racial, ethnic, or cultural groups. This is where uh, being actively involved in your denomination or actively involved in your local ministerial association really pays dividends. Now, I know what some people think. Well, I don't really need those things. I don't really have time for those things. But when the situation is like it is today, you'll be glad you invested time in building those relationships so that when some difficulty comes, you'll be able to draw on relationships with people from other parts of your community to really make the best response possible. One of the most enriching parts of my life over the last 20 years has been developing meaningful relationships with leaders from other racial and cultural backgrounds. And I don't mean just uh, professional relationships. I mean personal relationships where I go out to dinner with these men and their wives and I enjoy fellowship times with them uh, apart from ministering together and working only together. Uh, I've traveled with some of them and just enjoyed what it means to have a different perspective on life brought into mind by the way they see life and how they share their lives with me. When this uh, current protesting and all of this uh, took place, one of my first phone calls was to an African-American friend to say, hey, help me understand what's happening here. Uh, he actually sat down with me and let me ask him some questions and debrief some ideas with him and and then he was able to share some perspective with me. And I know this man. I know him well. I know of his genuine commitment to Jesus Christ. I know of his proven track record of ministry leadership. I, I know of his wisdom and his stability in leading in his, his community. And so it was a good, a good conversation for me to be able to just sit down with him and, and talk openly without any fear of reprisal or, or, or saying the wrong thing or, or, or misstepping in some way, but just to say, hey, here's what I'm feeling and here's what I'm seeing and here's what I'm thinking and 
talk back to me and help me see where I'm getting it and where I'm not. And then he was able to say some of the same thing to me, and I was able to give him some of that same kind of feedback. When you reach out to leaders from other racial or ethnic groups, listen to them, learn from them, and draw strength from each other. I have changed some of my perspectives over the last years on some current event issues just because I've sat with African-American leaders and listened to them talk with me about what those issues mean to them and why they're important to them and why they'd like to see change in certain aspects of our culture related to those things. And I know these men well enough that I've been able to then raise my own questions and raise my own issues and, and get some clarification and even from some of them to say, you know, I, I understand where you're coming from on that and I, I do see your side of it too. That kind of honest dialogue among leaders is so vital. And then beyond that, when you're able to, to, to have these kind of relationships and your church members or your followers are able to see you modeling these relationships, it goes a long way to reinforcing in their minds that it really is possible to have this kind of diversity, this kind of unity, this kind of respect for one another that makes it possible for people from diverse backgrounds to live and really work well together. Now I want to underscore this. You may say, well, I don't really have any friends like that. Isn't that part of the problem? I want to challenge you as a ministry leader to make a decision that you are going to start investing in relationships outside your little circle. Join your local ministerial association. Get involved with your local denominational group. Find a way to plug in to some circles where you will share the bond that we have in Jesus Christ, you will share the burden we have as ministry leaders, and you'll discover all the similarities that go along with that. But then you'll also discover the richness of the differences that God has given us and that we can learn from each other and grow from each other and really be so much better as leaders. And you may say, well, I just don't have any of those relationships today. Well, you can have them in a year if you'll get started today. Let this be a motivating moment for you to start building those kind of relationships so that the next time something happens in our country where you need to have friends from other groups that you can reflect and talk and trust and really work with, you'll have those relational networks built, and they'll be ready to go the next time you need them. Well, number five, a fifth thing we can do to do our part during this time as ministry leaders is to use our influence to produce substantive change. Now, protesters may instigate change, and I understand that. But legislators institutionalize change. Marching in the streets may stir up the need for change and draw attention to what has to change. But it's actually enacting law, creating policy, changing budgets. These are the things that really institutionalize the changes that are needed in our culture. In order to make those changes, you have to engage elected leaders and governmental processes. Now, that means it's appropriate for you as a ministry leader to pick up the phone and call your representative and say, this is what I'd like to see us do, and this is what I'd like to see happen. It's also appropriate for you to use your personal influence with people that you know. I recently talked with a pastor who 
is a well-known community leader. And when all of this difficulty started happening in our culture, uh, his local district attorney actually contacted him and said, would you mind writing up a two or three page summary of what you really feel like needs to happen in order to change some things in our community for the better, particularly as it relates to policing and police procedures and police policies. Now, this particular ministry leader is not only a well-known leader in his community, not only a well-known supporter of his community, not only a vocal and outspoken supporter of his community leadership, he's also a chaplain for the police department. And so by putting all of that together, he was able to submit this three-page brief to the district attorney saying, here are some things from the community's perspective that would really make a difference as you start thinking about how to change policing policies and practices in our area. So when I say use your influence to produce substantive change, I mean more than just marching or more than protesting or more than blogging. I mean pick up the phone, call your elected officials, use the influence of relationships you may already have with those elected officials, make a difference with them. And if given the opportunity to serve on a community panel or to be involved in a think tank or to join a committee or even to be involved yourself in some kind of specific uh, uh, leadership responsibility that comes to you through community service, take advantage of those opportunities to produce real change. And then finally, stay the course. Even when our global situation has a negative trajectory, and it certainly has one right now, stay the course. Now, I don't want to end on a negative, but I, I do want to be realistic and remind you that the Bible says the world's future is going to involve a global descent into chaos before a cataclysmic ending of the world as we know it. In other words, things are not going to get better. Now, you may say, well, that is so negative and so hopeless. No, listen carefully. We have a responsibility relentlessly and tirelessly to work for the greater good, to promote the common good. We have a responsibility to work against the power of sin loosed in the universe today and to resist it at every point. We have a responsibility to do that personally as we resist sin in our lives. We have a responsibility to do that corporately as we resist the impact of sin in our culture. So yes, the Bible does paint a long-term bleak picture of what's going to happen in the world. But in the meantime, we have a responsibility to do all we can for the common good and the greater good and to stand against wrongdoing, against evil, against the results of sin cursing our world, and to do all we can to battle uphill as much as we feel it's that way all the time to make a difference in our world. So stay the course. Don't give in. Don't give in to hopelessness. Don't give in to a sense of uh, doom and gloom. Uh, don't, don't give in to the feeling that nothing that you do really matters. Stay the course. Yes, the long-term future of the world we live in is not that positive. It's going to get a lot worse, and someday it's going to get really bad, and then it'll all come to an end. But in the meantime, in the meantime, God is at work through you. He's sustaining you. He's empowering you. He's giving you grace. He's giving you the strength, the energy, the wisdom, and the insight to stand against evil and all that it's trying to do in our world. 
Take up the battle, and even though you may feel like you're pushing uphill, stay with it. It's a hard time right now. It's a hard time to be a ministry leader. If you're in the center trying to hold to some balanced perspective and resist the extremists on both sides, you are finding yourself perhaps in the crosshairs of everyone taking shots at you. So what do you do? Well, speak the truth as clearly as you can. Stick to what you know. Don't feel like you have to have the final answer on everything, but do give good biblical theological information that forms the foundation of our decision-making. Let's magnify examples of multi-ethnic and multicultural ministry that are positive examples in our communities and in our churches. Reach out to leaders from other racial and ethnic groups, other cultural groups. Learn from them, listen to them, grow from them. Draw strength from the unity that comes in those relationships. Use your influence to produce substantive change. Yes, protesters may instigate change, but legislatures, they institutionalize it. So impact the formal structures of government in such a way that things really do change in your community and in our world. And stay with it. It's a discouraging time. It's a difficult time. It's a challenging time. You may feel like, as I've said, you're pushing uphill. But the battle is worth it because as we work for the common good and the greater good, we make a legitimate difference in our world, representing the Lord and representing all that he stands for in the best way we can. Thank you for the work you're doing. It's a tough time, it's a challenging time, but I know you'll stand strong as we lead on.